Welcome and welcome and willkommen to the Marcel Kittle episode of Sigma Sports presents Matt Stevens Unplug. Unplugged. <laughs> Super fantastic. Now, what can I tell you about her Kittle? Well, he was one of the most successful sprinters of the modern era, taking a whopping 19 stages across all three Grand Tours. Now that he's retired, he's written a book, and we chat about that. We also chat about how becoming a father changed his life, while he also remembers the important role his own dad played in the early days on two wheels. And in the Amstart quiz, there's a sausage-themed question, naturally. All of this and more from a German with a better command of English language than most people in my postcode. So, stetsch dich bequem hin und geteilt den Podcast. Actually, you better leave that all in English. I can't, I can't compete. Please, sit back, relax, and enjoy the pod. Podcast. Marcel Kittle started his road racing career as a strong time trialist before finding his talents were even better suited to the bunch sprint. Over the course of his illustrious career, he managed an incredible 89 professional victories whilst riding for teams like Skill Shimano, Etics Quickstep and Katusha Alpacid. You might also remember him from a particularly humorous shampoo ad a few years back. I was keen to find out how much life has changed since his retirement from the sport and whether he has ever listened to music whilst competing at junior level high jumping events. Check it out. Good morning, Marcel. Thank you very, very much indeed, mate, for joining us. How are you? I'm fine, Matt. Hello. Thank you. I'm, I'm actually yeah, feeling very good. It's, um, it's a great day again in the Netherlands. It's raining the whole day and uh, just business as usual, I guess. Oh, oh God. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm very lucky. We've had a lot of rain over the last few days in, in the UK, but I'm looking yeah. out of my window and it's blue sky. So I feel, th- thank goodness for that. It's been a little bit, um, yeah, a little bit grey over the last few days, a little bit grey. <laughs> so before we, before we kick things off, um, Actually, what have you had to eat or drink before you come on the podcast? Because it's it's quite early in the morning. It's ten o'clock where you are, but it's nine o'clock where I am, and I'm, I'm, my mind is still a little bit foggy. But you sounded very, very sharp. So, how have you been able to get yourself into such a good place so so relatively early? It's 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 mostly uh, coffee okay. and uh, <laughs> um, the the yeah. I normally I usually eat uh, two breads, uh, two two slices of bread with. Uh, peanut butter that's my favorite that's also the, the favorite of my son okay so we we normally eat together um and have breakfast together so that's yeah that's what we do oh I just, I, yeah there's something when you're a kid um breakfast is is one of the coolest meals of the day isn't it i mean i, I just I fondly remember breakfast and uh, saturday saturday mornings with my sister watching tv back in the 1980s yeah uh, and then sat with my dad as well sometimes breakfast is cool it, I, I would be really happy if you would come over, come over and explain that to my son because he's not always he's not he's not always behaving to to now according to that expectation that he says yeah it's a great thing to do because yeah he's throwing bread around and yeah just the usual stuff that two years old. Uh, All right, okay, he's got doing, a little yeah. bit of time to settle into enjoying breakfast a bit more uh, sedate. Yeah. Than a bit. So Marcel, you just hinted. Um, that you're in the Netherlands. Could you just tell everybody who's going to be listening in where exactly you are and actually what you can see, what room you're in, in your house and stuff, just to set the scene nicely for us. 
So um, maybe some background information. We've moved uh, on the 1st November of 2021 to the Netherlands. My girlfriend is Dutch, um, soon to be wife. We are going to get married next week. Oh, wow, wow, wow. fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's that's really exciting. Um, Thank you. And we are, so we are, we've moved now to her, um, yeah, to her place sounds a bit weird, but where she grew up, um, that little village in the east of the Netherlands, um, close to Enschede. I don't know if, if maybe some people will be familiar with, with that place, but that's the area where we live. And um, I'm currently sitting in our guest room um, where we also have our working space. And um, yeah, we are... Um, both at home. Um, I've got a bright light in my face and <laughs> looking at my computer. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's a little bit the setting where I mean it's not very comfortable because we, uh, as you know, maybe when you are moving to a place in the first four or five days, you're trying to unpack as much as you can do. And then it's it's never enough time to unpack everything. And then for the next four months, the rest still is standing everywhere in your apartment, basement, and you're not touching it anymore. So uh, I, you, you couldn't be more true. I, I, actually, it's quite reassuring, um, Marcel, of you to say that because we moved house. Me and my wife moved house um, up to the north of England from London um, back in December, yeah. and and I'm looking in my office at two boxes full of computer games uh, <laughs> and uh, some cuddly toys. And on the top of it is a light, which it doesn't, isn't balanced properly. And also a mouth organ um, and a, a, a slope. <laughs> yeah, just stuff's, we've done pretty much everything, but there's still a lot of boxes knocking about. I'm glad we're not the only couple that has stuff still still hanging <laughs> around. <laughs> That's totally normal. You know, I, I freaked out until last week where I just then started to order um sort of big shelves for in the basement because I, I freaked out before I, I couldn't find my cycling stuff anymore like like tools and 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 just the basic stuff because it's all in boxes in the basement and they were really I think in total we had 180 boxes um, that we had to unpack and, and a quarter or maybe a third of it was still in the basement and I, I couldn't find it anymore so last week I started to unpack everything and now it's fi- fine and, and yeah we are Again, one more step, um, you know, closer to a place where we feel comfortable. <laughs> Flipping it. Do you? That's yeah. We 180 boxes. That that's that's pretty amazing. I mean, um, we we've got a lot of boxes in the garage still. But just, I want to know a little bit more about the way you deal with things like that. I mean, this wasn't a question that I had written down at all. But I was accused by my wife of being. Um, being overly stressed because I couldn't pack things away quick enough. Are you somebody who needs to have a house that's in order or are you quite happy living in chaos? Because I became very, very, I'm I'm quite a calm person normally, but I was really, really anxious for a few days. And in the end, she said, you've got to leave the house and go and have a drink. Just go to the pub or something because (laughs) I was, I wanted everything to be done straight away. What what are you like? You quite calm or do you, do you need things to be ordered? I'm, I also need order. Um, it's, it's really, it, it sounds weird because yeah, in the end we, uh, we struggled to get it immediately also in our, like in our new house, but, um, also my, my girlfriend, um, she's the same. We are very structured and we need that order to, you know, um, you know, where we can trust that we will find things as quick yes. as possible, Yes. whatever it is for kids, for ourselves, for, for the bike and, and that was, yeah, probably that was that was certainly a stress factor for the last weeks and months. So. Oh, good stuff. Well, I'm, I'm glad. And also, you've got um, like moving house, unpacking boxes, and then planning for a wedding, Marcel. That's quite a big deal, isn't yeah. it? How how deeply involved are you in with the wedding planning? How does it work with you guys? 
It's, did I mention that we also build a house? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're making me. You're making me feel stressed now, mate. <laughs> no, it's it's we are. So I really have to say, it's a beautiful uh, period that we are experiencing now as a family. Uh, we have a lot of great things um, that are happening now, but it's it is a challenge. And um, for example, the wedding, it's it's something um, that we are planning now for August this year, um, and we are. I think, yeah, it's it's quite safe to say that we have finally found a location now where we can um, have our our wedding, and so that's that's great. Um, and all the rest is it's the the mother of my girlfriend said, yeah, I don't know how you guys are doing it because you're having the kids and then uh, trying to organize everything. Besides that, my, we are both uh, still also yeah working, and it's it's yeah it's quite quite unique. I think what we are experiencing now. Yeah, because I was my um. My, one of my early questions is like, so what are you doing now? But it sounds like you're very, very busy. <laughs> nah, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's just a period now, um, especially when we, when we moved then yeah, you had, I don't know, a hundred things to do. Yeah. Um, but um, it's usually it, it's calmer, like um, um, compared to now. So we, what, what am I doing now? I'm, I'm still having my ambassador roles. I'm, I'm, I'm following like, um, like personal projects, which, which I hope I can talk about soon more, but, um, so it's, it's occupying time. It's, it's, but it's, it's nice. To, it's, it feels good because, um, that was one of my dreams. Um, once I retired, I, I wanted to be able to do something, um, yeah, actually for myself in that sense that I'm, that I can follow my own interests apart from professional cycling, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, of course. And, um, that's, that's a sort of freedom that I enjoy, which is also sometimes scary, but, yeah. um, um, I mean, um, that's part of the deal sort of. And, um, no, I, I really enjoy that freedom. So without, wanting to dig too deeply into what those projects are clearly there's you know that there's some things you're going to announce in the future but what what sort of things do interest you what sort of things are, are you looking to do um in your life aside from cycling because you you have these ambassadorial roles it's it's quite clear um that you still are in love with cycling but in a completely different way but, but what what is it that interests you outside of the cycling world um um i think the so I would, I would make a difference there between, um, yeah, what is cycling world for me now? The cycling yeah. for, world for me means now uh, a world mostly without professional cyclists uh, cycling. Um, I still, I still love the sport. I also follow it, um, but I'm not, um, you know, it's not my everyday thing anymore. Um, and that's that's okay. It feels fine. Uh, I'm still a fan. But um, I would, you know, like to dive in more into that world and and. That's what I'm doing already now. For example, with these ambassador roles, with Rose Bikes, with uh, with uh, Endura, um, for example, and Sigma, that I would like to share my um, my feelings for the sport, but also for cycling in general. It's it's great to be on the bike, and um, there are so many topics that um, are worth it to to mention. For example, what we what we did now, we, we try to focus a bit more on, on, on safety on the road. Um, yeah. I think that's an important message and I, that I would like to share as well. Um, and there are, you know, connected to that message is, is also one of the personal projects that I, that I would like to, you know, turn into reality. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but um, we are planning for it now. Um, and I think that's really, really exciting to, to just give an idea. Sure. And um, 
I'd imagine from my experience of, of visiting, racing, but also just being in the Netherlands, is what if that's the kind of thing you're leading to, it is one of the most, I mean, cycling as a sport, of course, is enormous, but cycling as something that is completely interwoven intrinsically within the fabric of society is in the Netherlands, isn't it? So I guess yeah. as, a, as, a, as a place, as an environment to do that, that that, that sounds like it's a an ideal place. Yeah, I mean, the, the Netherlands is unique um, when you look to um, how people grow up here with with cycling in general, with a mm. bike. They don't even have, like when I go uh, by car to the next city early in the morning at seven o'clock and I see all the uh, kids riding um, to school, they are all on a bike because they don't really have a, a good um public transport infrastructure, uh, yeah. for example, with school buses. Um, they have school buses, but then they would leave uh, yeah, every hour uh, from one place to another. So everyone goes by bike because they have these great um, bike paths. And I think they are really a reference when it comes to that for other countries. And I think that's that's quite unique. And I really enjoy see, you know, watching them riding in huge pelotons of 40, 50 kids. And then the youngest ones have to ride ahead because the older ones make them ride there uh, so that they can sit in their slipstream. And uh, I think that's quite funny to see. And um, yeah, it, it's it's forming their relationship uh, with a bike already very early. Yeah, I mean, I, when I, I think it was a, a few years ago, it might have been the Giro start um, in Utrecht. Um, that was a big eye-opener for me, um, just riding around. And there was like a rush hour in the morning of, of commuters, but also kids going to school, stopping at the traffic lights, but in bicycles. It was a real cultural eye-opener yeah. for me, but it was it was lovely. I mean, um, and also without going down the rabbit hole of helmets and, and, and not, not wearing a helmet, but that's, that's a complete another podcast. There were people yeah. just clear, <laughs> quite clearly felt safe as, as well which is you know people feel safe that's the biggest blocker isn't it to people uh, getting out on their bikes I mean um, especially if you live in a big metropolitan area um, yeah. one of the biggest blockers is just feeling frightened but in the Netherlands that clearly isn't the case no because you always have the choice to ride on a protected bike lane and yeah. also even the law says um, that car drivers have to watch out for, for, for cyclists and, and it almost doesn't matter what happened if there is a crash uh, with between a car and a cyclist then mostly the car is always wrong because uh, it's their first obligation to always look out for, for cyclists and, yeah. and they, they really push it to an extreme but it's I mean I think it's, an, an, it's also necessary to protect cyclists more and um, yeah they are really an example how you can do that definitely I mean just to you you re you retired um, or you left you left the team um, Alberson Phoenix back on the 9th of the fifth wasn't it um, 2019 then you retired in August and the world has so you formally retired from the sport in, in August a couple of months later but the God what we've been through in the world is is quite astonishing no no nobody ever could have foresaw what exactly was going to happen but in, yeah. in terms of your world w when you look back at that time when you decided to hang up your wheels. Um, how, how different, how markedly different is your life now than it was then? Yeah, my, I mean, my, my life is very different now. Um, and when I look to the moment I decided to retire in 2019 in August, like you just said, um, I, I felt, I felt kind of free. I, um, yeah. I also, I mean, I, I was 
almost 100% sure, you're never actually 100% sure, but I was very close to 100% sure that I'm really taking the right decision here. So that gave me also some confidence for, for the months ahead and I could really look forward to what is happening uh, or what would happen when, when our son um, uh, is born in December 2019. And that gave me a lot of, you know, um, it gave me a calm feeling. And yeah. once, once he was born, um, you automatically... Uh, you get your direction. It's like sort of recalibration of your whole life. Um, once you start to be a dad and you have family, there is the responsibility for it, but there's also um, this new look to life. And I think um, that made it for me, turned it into a hard cut between the cycling world that I knew before and suddenly the family life that I had um, at the end of 2019. And then when, for, for example, the corona pandemic started, which was, I think, for pro cyclists, a big change, but um, even more important for many other people, a huge change in their life with huge challenges. I I really, when I just look at the timing um, of my career and I had a yeah, great chance to, to have even more time with my family and our world got really, really small, like for everyone else. And um, yeah, we are really happy that we... Um, had this opportunity and, and, you know, the chance to take care of us as a family and enjoy it also a little bit. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. I mean, do you often, Marcel, cause you, you know, when you look at your achievements, I mean, um, in, in the space of time that, that you were a pro, you mean that there was your, your achievements were nothing short of magnificent. Do you ever take the time to look back on those results at all? Are they something that you, um, I would imagine you, you're clearly very, very proud, but, but do, you, do you often revisit? Do, do you have a lot of um, memorabilia from your cycling days or is that something that you just put away now? I mean, how do you, how do you look at that part of your life? Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, when I just unpacked stuff from the boxes last week uh, in the basement, I also unpacked uh, trophies from, from my career. I think that says a lot. It's, it's not something that I... Um, you know, still keep very visible in my life uh, because also, like I said, when when I started a new life after my career, I also changed sort of roles um, and I wasn't a pro cyclist anymore. And I think the perception of that role is that it has now in my life, it got really small and um, I'm not trying to identify myself anymore with the things that are now in the past. I'm obviously what you said, I'm I'm still very, very proud of my achievements, but also the sport is moving on. And Mm. um, it's, it's, I think it's a fact um, that, yeah, when the sport is moving on, time is evolving. um, Also your own achievements. I mean, they, they, they become more and more part of the past and they they won't be that visible anymore and i think there there have to be new things that you that you're looking forward to and that you know that you where, where you can identify yourself with yeah i mean m- many of the of the guys that you were sprinting against um are of course still racing do you you said you still follow the sport do you occasionally wish or wistfully think that you'd like to be back there in the chaos of, of, a, of a bunch sprint or are you, are you more than happy just watching it unfold on TV? <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy to just watch it on television <laughs> yeah. because I mean, obviously there are moments where I think, Oh, wow. Um, for example, with Kev, when he, when you won um, the green Jersey um, again, now I thought, Oh man, it's what a unique chance. What a great story for him. But 
you know, I know that I, I was once just as fast as him and sometimes even faster. Mm. Um, and then you're like, ah, I, I know how it feels to win a tour stage. And I, I would obviously like to repeat it again. But then on the other hand, there's also this, this feeling of, ah, yeah, but I also know what, what's, what's part of the preparation and um, what you have to give up. And I'm not ready to do that anymore. That, that's what I said already with my, uh, announcement of the reti- my retirement. I'm not ready to to give up that anymore for the sport, and yeah. um, I still have that opinion. And I'm that's why I'm very happy. Uh, you know, obviously for 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 guys like Kev when they can keep going and they have this flame still burning in them. Um, but I'm also happy with my decision that I know. Okay, for me it was the right one. Um, others kept going and they are still successful and they deserve it 110. percent But um, I'm happy with what I have now. Yeah, and and there's some riders that, that I speak to. Um, so some of them who are my friends, you, you, we we the subject of the sport comes up, and and some riders and friends can recall in intricate detail some of their biggest wins. Are you somebody who can? Uh, are you a bit of a historian on the sport? Can you recall most of your big victories if you deep, dig deep into your mind? Like for example. Um, if I were to ask you to replay and describe your first stage win in the tour, um, uh, to Bastia, um, uh, could you, could, how, how, yeah, yeah. How could you, yeah. it, could you, how much of that could you recall? Um, I think I could recall quite a lot, um, yeah. for my first stage win, um, because it's always a special one. It sounds, <laughs> We've heard that phrase already a million times, but I mean it is like it is, that's how it is. And I um, I still remember that huge crash uh, that we had just before the that just before the final and this big uh, insecurity where the final actually is because um, as you re- for sure remember there was this bus stuck under the finish arch. Of course, and, yeah, yeah. Um, we as riders also didn't know what will happen actually now because my sports director just said yeah finishes at the finish line and i had no idea what that meant because of course finishes at the yeah. finish line. yeah um and i didn't know that there was a bus stuck under the arch and um then uh this big crash happened um probably three four five kilometers before the finish and from there on um the team so uh, the team and I, we, we had to do it um, almost alone because all the other teams lost big parts of their lead out and we were responsible for it. And that's, that's I think, one moment where I'm really proud of that the whole team did a great job and um, stayed calm and uh, really did everything for their dream uh, for us to, to win that first stage of the Tour de France and um, coming onto that finish line. Uh, yeah, I, I, I still remember how I try to tell myself that hey, you have to stay calm now and don't go too early and try to keep your wheel free. You're trying to repeat all the things actually that your first trainers and your dad and all the people that try to teach you cycling, you, you try to keep them in mind and not do any mistake there and wait for the right moment. And that, yeah, um, was luckily the case for me and, um, yeah, it was great emotions. Yeah, of course. You not only won the stage that moved you, moved you into the Maillot Jaune as well, into the into the yellow jersey. So, like an immensely important day, that day in your in your career. Yeah. And where actually, where, where is that that jersey? Do you have that framed in the house, or is that in a cupboard somewhere? Where? 
That's that's still um, it's actually in in a in a um, in, in a closet, and I'm so I've got it. Obviously, I've got it at home, um, but because we are we moved, um, I still don't have it on a wall. And I might wait until we are finally moving into our new house, and then um, there will there will it will get a special place. Fair enough. Have you, your house? Just go back into your house for a moment. Are you, you said you build you're building a new house. Yeah, we are. Um, we so we were looking already for a longer period um, for a house, and we uh, wanted to finally settle down somewhere um, uh, after you know living in different places, which which was all fine. But with family, you want to have your own place, and um, um, so we yeah we are building our own house in the in that village where we live now as well, um, and that's. That's nice, and you know, I, the architect, when we discussed it, he was like, "Yeah, what do you want?" And I said, yeah, "I need a big basement for my bikes and for my for my cycling stuff." So he was looking at me. Yeah, okay, good. Try to give that some space. That must be quite quite fun. Uh, designing designing your own. Have you been quite uh, hands on and involved? I mean, I mean, that must not everybody gets to design their own house. Most people just move into a house, but that yeah. must have been pretty cool. The whole the whole design process and, and watching the architect do their job and gradually seeing it being built. Yeah, it's um, something that we didn't expect because we were also hoping to to find a place that you know where we don't have to build something from scratch. Mm. But um, that yeah, it turned out different, and now we are. I think in working on draft number eight or something with okay. the architect. <laughs> so I think he he starts to get crazy with us. But no, we uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. But it uh, the crazy thing is you have to really think about everything that you do, um, how you live in a in a house, for example, how you want to use it, yeah, and um, try to shape it. Uh, so that really it really fulfills your wishes and dreams and and is actually you in a sense and um, yeah that process was a lot of discussion and it, it weirdly sometimes it reminded me of discussing a sprint with you know analyzing and with your whole team talking about the communication this is not good we could do that the, the next time different and that's a little bit of the discussions that we have uh, with the people there so but it's it's really. Um, a nice challenge and we really enjoy it so are there okay be honest with me now have there been any big differences of opinion between you and your wife in relation to how the the house should look or are you both on the same page or is there a little bit of a difference there because that because it's a it's a big thing i i would i think i'd be similar i'd be like well this is draft number five six seven i mean to get it right i mean obviously you've got the advice of of the architect but ultimately it's you know, you have to get this right. You got one. Once you start building, that's kind of it. So, so are you? Do you both share a similar vision? Yeah, we we have the same vision, luckily. Um, <laughs> but sometimes the architect doesn't doesn't have the same same vision. Right. Because, <laughs> for instance, for instance, very very good example. Also, um, because you can see that I I used to be a professional cyclist. We had big discussions about the uh, about the stairs. Okay. Uh, and, and in, in the Netherlands, they are used to build them quite steep. And I said, I just want to have a stair that is that that is as lazy as possible. As la- and, that was uh, a great phrase. A lazy stairs, I like yeah, that. <laughs> that. That's how they that's how they call them here as well. And um, or they would call them German 
stairs. I don't know why, but because apparently in Germany it's a little bit of different standard. They they have them a bit longer and a bit less high, and um, so that was a big point of discussion. But um, yeah, I think in the end we we all got what we wanted, and um, I can. I think when the house is ready, you can walk up the stairs after a longer ride without, uh, you know, having to do big steps. <laughs> that's, that's thing is, nice. Yeah, you don't want to, yeah, because, uh, and also coming down the stairs, if they're too, if they're too steep as well, that can really hurt the thighs, can't it? You know, after, yeah, after yeah, yeah. you know, you have to think about it. And are they, describe the, sca- the stairs too, are, are they wood? Are they glass? Are they metal? Are they, do they have like a, ba- what's the banister like? What, what's the vibe? Are they those stairs that are like floating so i, I want to get a, a sense of what they're going to yeah. be like <laughs> now it will be a relatively normal um they will be relatively normal so th- we are not sure if they will be made from concrete or steel or wood that's we are not at that point yet okay we we discussed you know length and height and and, and all that but um yeah it will be like a u-shape um where you walk up and down ah, and okay. um so yeah, it will be, I think, in the end, good to use. I hope that's that's. It has to be a practical house um, with you know all the, you know, rooms and places uh, at the good and right place where you need them. But it will be also a house that should feel warm. So um, we yeah we need to fine tune the design elements. So that's that's really I, I can't wait to see some photographs uh, of your house ultimately when it when it's built mate but it's a very exciting process um oh hold on sorry mate there's a there's a noise oh random question alert random question alert it is time for a random question. Oh, um, Marcel, I didn't warn you about that. I mean, um, it's something that happens in all of my podcasts, unfortunately. The guys at Sigma Sports installed a, I think it's from 1962, our old supercomputer in my, bed- oh, yeah. in my, in my bedroom. Yeah, and occasionally in a podcast, it, there's a big red light on the top and it goes off and I have to read you or my guest a random question, which I've never seen before. So are you ready for a random question? I'm 100% ready. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I did. It's made me giggle. Never seen this before. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Right. Okay, Marcel. Have you ever had to go through your own bins to find something you accidentally threw out? And if so, what was it? So you're, yeah. have you had to go through the garbage? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah just, just, just recently because I um, <laughs> wanted to go on my indoor trainer and I couldn't find, I couldn't find the, um, you know, the electricity, the, the power plug anymore. Okay. I, I found the trainer, but I didn't know where the cable was gone. And then I had to go through all the paper trash that he had because I thought I left it in the box and I threw the box away. And I had to, uh, oh, that was really, it was... It took me half an hour. Uh, I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it, so I had to order it online again. Um, so bought a new one, and then um, just recently I found the old one. So the first one that was originally um, that came with my trainer, I found it in another box. 
that I left somewhere else, but not in the trash. So I have two cables now. Really stupid. But so yeah. you've had you had to buy another cable and you had to search through the trash for half an hour just to, yeah. for, for no reason, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I was luckily, uh, yeah, I was lucky enough that it, it wasn't like I don't know the bio waste or something which is really dirty. So uh, yeah, that was an advantage. Yeah, I mean, paper's not too bad. It's, it's not too bad no. at all. Um, so your tell us a little bit about the book. That you, that you wrote um, is it I mean roughly translated it's about actually can you translate the title in, into English because I've tried it a few times and um, yeah just in, in your words that's oh that will be a very rough translation um, the title is actually means something like the um, the feeling for the right moment um, something like that if that mm-hmm. makes sense in English yep. um, and um, it's Obviously, a book about my career, how I um, started to, um, yeah, started on the bike and and um, all the things that I experienced during my career. But I try to, um, you know, tell the story in a different, in a bit different way because it was, it's, it's not always in a chronological order. It's mostly also a little bit based on. Um, on, on topics so it's it, there is a chapter about the sprinting and how it feels about you know emotions on a bike obviously there's also um, there are also then the chapters about um, when I struggled uh, yeah. but also the the chapters when I uh, you know had the chance to experience great success and how that all is related and I wanted to give it a little bit yeah a different feeling because I believe that uh, ultimately, it's just it's 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 a hu- very human story, and I didn't want to build up this this story of um, yeah uh, of an unfailable um, top athlete, you know. Yeah. And um, th- I think that was something that was very important for me. Yeah, totally. I mean, because we that's one thing that 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 we do tend to do. Although I think more and more we are speaking more about the human beings, um, the, the human side, um, whatever you achieve in life, in, in your profession um, or your art or, or whatever, um, ultimately mm-hmm. we, we're all, we are all fallible. We, we're, we have flaws, we have um, I- emotional vulnerability. And despite your enormous success, especially when you're like somebody like yourself in a, in a very masculine sport, uh, male, you know, a, a very... I don't know, alpha sport cycling, mm-hmm. um, yeah. endurance based, uh, exceptionally high performance. And then you have you, know, you individually, this, just your stature as well, your, 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 your presence. All of that is suggestive of somebody who is just built of concrete, just strong, you know, and, uh, and, and getting that message across must have been, I guess, actually, what was the purpose of, of your book? Was it a cathartic thing just to get your story out? Or did you want people to to learn um, um, that it's it's important to, mm. to 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 show the human side. What, what yeah. was the what was the purpose? Do you think? I wasn't I wasn't planning to, you know, I wasn't planning to retire and then immediately write a book. That was really yeah. not my intention. I sure. was sort of yeah. I was almost taken by surprise with the opportunity that I uh, could do that. And I thought, okay, if I will write a book together with my co. Um, co-writer then i will uh, i want to make it something yeah different uh hopefully special and and try to tell my story from a different perspective and uh, of course that's 
retrospective perspective looking back now um, and, and on everything that I experienced good and also bad sometimes I mean it, it's 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 an up and down um, just like a tour stage there are good moments there are difficult moments and that's what I try to pack into the book also as a message um, you know with with real life examples for someone who's who might be interested who might be in the same situation who maybe has questions um uh, and and it's trying to find answers um mm. i hope that those people will find some answers in my book um how i dealt with it uh, with 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 struggles but also how i dealt with um, my success, um, in, in my case, it's mostly a question of how, how what could I have be, could, could have been done better by me. But I mean, it's always a process, and I think that process is um, is, is is that's what we try to describe in the book, and um, um, should be sort of yeah an exa example for uh, for my pro career, which is not, um, of course, I'm also aware of that. It's not a career of 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 um, only success a ronaldo like career you know what i mean yeah sure. um where where it's only going up 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 um and that's that's totally okay and i'm absolutely fine with it and i think it's it's really important to keep it authentic and um, that's what i try to do with the book yeah i mean I'd, i i i haven't i haven't read the book but i know i know a little bit about what was happening but but can you just exp if you don't mind uh, marcel just explain at what point in your career um did you start to think this isn't something that I'm happy with or I can cope with or it's not right? I mean, at what point did your vision or your your view of the sport and how it was making you feel start to shift slightly negatively? Because obviously you had to pull away from it in the end. Um, at what point did that start to happen, if you don't mind me asking? Um, that's a almost difficult question to answer because mm. I believe that cycling is um, a constant struggle between um, between between continuing uh, and and throwing your bike away yeah because you you don't want to go any further yeah uh, I think that's the essence of the sport basically so um, when when did I start to struggle I think I started to struggle in the first weeks when I started to ride a bike okay. um, as a youth rider um, but then struggling in a sense of Wow, this sport is so hard. It takes, it asks so much of me. How, uh, you know, how can I possibly go further? And I'm thinking there immediately about my about the first ride with my dad when I was uh, 13 years old. We did a winter ride. It was raining, yeah. almost snowing, and there was ice on my on my helmet, on my sleeves. And I asked myself, what am I doing here? <laughs> and um, that's, but that's that's the essence of the sport. And yeah. I think later on, when the expectation uh, expectation is growing and you've 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 had already some success, um, that question um, turns into something different. Then it's not only about what what am I doing here on the bike, but like is this what I'm doing still what I wanted to do in the first place when I was still a, a young rider because I enjoyed riding. And of course there were these difficult moments, but getting over them is, is what made me happy. Yeah. Um, but then I think as once I started to be a pro and I had a few years in, until 2015, um, that was the first moment where I asked myself, okay, Hey, um, I've had great success, but then there, there are not, suddenly now um, things that are happening where I can't just say, yeah, I keep, keep on pedaling and then I'm over the mountain and uh, this, this feeling of happiness comes back because I made it. But now, now, now there are 
other things around me that I can't easily escape from, uh, you know, um, and, and, and discussions about, I don't know, because you have these expectations on your shoulders, you, you can't just push them to the side. Um, yeah. And you yeah. have to learn again how to deal with that. And that's then sort of off the bike. But it also involves uh, or relates to your performance on the bike. And it's all connected suddenly. And that's, I think, I think the next level um, um, that you need to reach if you want to be a successful pro. And I found that answer there for me. But as soon as it's, you know, as I struggled again in 2019, I realized, hey, okay, I think um, I've, I've pushed myself now enough to the extreme on the bike. I've, I've, um, I'm ready for something new off the bike. Um, and I think it's the right moment to do something else. That's really, really, um, I mean, interestingly and eloquently put, Marcel, because um, as we all know, I think, I think any regardless of, of what level you've achieved um, in, in the sport or what level you, you ride at, I mean, we sometimes you just want to throw the bike in a ditch and think, what on earth am I, am I doing this for? And when I, mm-hmm. my, my very short spell as a professional cyclist, most days I'd be thinking, what on earth am I doing? And then you would immediately, at the end of the day, you get back to the hotel or, you, you know, or, or you're or home after a training session or a race, and then you'd be overcome by the the endorphins that you get after a ride, then it would all be good again. It was it was a constant ebb and flow, wasn't it? But but I guess with yeah. your with within that ebb and flow of emotions that we all have as cyclists, um, especially uh, when you're racing at, at the highest level, when you start to achieve success, you're rewarded with success with with um, with decent contracts, but also with that comes obligation. But this this back and two continues, doesn't it? And it must the extremes just get harder and harder and harder. And I guess it's, it's just been, it's just over, I guess it just accumulates over a long period of time before you get to a point where it's like, actually, no, I can't, I can't cope with this back and two and the immense pressure that it entails. Is that, was that fair to say? Yeah. It, yeah. I, I would say it's all about the personal balance that you, yeah. that you feel when you do something and it doesn't even matter if it's riding your bike um, as a professional or if it's just, I don't know, with your office job or um, job as a lawyer or whatever. Um if you are starting to doubt what you are doing, um, you could try and look for, you know, inspiration again to, to give it another experience, you know, um, yeah. w- with what you're doing, for example, riding your bike, you try to, I don't know, go more out on a mountain bike. Maybe as a lawyer, you try to um, find a new new job at, at another office, for example. I, I'm just trying to give an example. Sure. But um, you need to keep your balance and, um, I, for my part, at the end of my career experience, say I, I, I can't find that balance back with what I'm doing now. So yeah, yeah. I really have to look for something completely new. And uh, only with that balance, you can sort of also endure all the things that are necessary to be successful with what you do. And um, that is something that I really learned for myself. And um yeah, I can only try to share that experience with other people. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It really is. is. Is the book available in in an English translation? Um, not yet. Not yet. Let, let's let's uh, hopefully somebody's listening to this podcast and get that sorted out because it sounds like it's uh, not being an enjoyable read, but um, also an important read as as well um, for whatever whatever you do in life. Now, yeah. okay, um, Marcel, you were born and raised in the town of Arnstadt, yeah. Yeah, in Arnstadt, yes. Arnstadt, okay. (laughs) It is time for the Arnstadt quiz. 
Oh my god. Yo, no. What's up? You're ready? Uh, uh, Let's do it. Uh, uh, turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the Anstott quiz. Okay, oh. Marcel. I'm gets nervous. Up. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> now, please don't get too nervous. I, I do a hometown quiz on, on most of the uh, with most of my guests, but it's a multiple choice quiz. Okay, so um, if you're okay. not too, if you're not too sure of the answer, you can simply guess. Um, so it's four questions, um, all loosely based around your hometown. Where, how long did you live there for? Um. In Arnstadt, I probably lived uh, five days when I was born in the hospital <laughs> because I, I actually lived <laughs> I lived uh, seven kilometers away from Arnstadt in a village called Ichtershausen. Okay, and that's where I really grew up. But yeah, I've, I've went, I've been to school in Arnstadt. I've uh, started cycling there. So, oh, okay, yeah, so you you okay, good stuff. Okay, so let's start with question number one. It's a history question. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, although it does predate when you were born by several uh, centuries. Anyway, here we go. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. question number one. On the 8th of March, 1198, the princes of the Holy Roman Empire gathered in Arnstadt and elected who was to be the king of Germany, um, who also at the time was known as king of the Romans. Okay, and mm -hmm. uh, okay, which king, What? which person was it? Okay, was it A, Conrad, B, <laughs> Henry the Henry the Fourth, C Philip of Swabia, or D Frederick the Second. So oh who who was the king of the Romans? I know that's interesting because the king the king of Germany at the time uh, during this period was also known as king of the Romans as well and had to go all the way to Italy um, to uh, be uh, yeah to have been inaugurated okay. by the Pope. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so it's quite interesting. Uh, and that happened in Arnstadt. Yeah, yeah. The in, in this particular year, so in eleven ninety eight, they gathered um, and elected who was to be king of Germany. It happened in Arnstadt, yeah. So it didn't happen wow. in Arnstadt all the time. Just in eleven ninety eight, this particular time, uh, the inauguration happened there, which is quite wow. yeah, quite a big bit of history. That's a, that's a, that's a really big thing. Um, I have no idea. Uh, probably now. Of course, I know it. I would say A. Uh, I forgot his name. <laughs> Conrad. 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 Yeah. Conrad. You're going to go for Conrad. Um, no, 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 no. Can I still change? I would like to, to go for D because he had this this fancy uh, number at the end of his name. So yeah, I'll so, so I'll go for it. Conrad A, Henry the Fourth B, C Philip of Swabia or D Frederick the Second. Freddie, yeah, Freddie II. Freddie II? Freddie. Okay, yeah. Freddie. Uh, unfortunately, it's a wrong answer. It's Philip uh, of Schwabia. Oh, no. Oh, sorry, oh, man. Sorry, I don't man. know my own history. Don't worry. I mean, that's quite a complicated. The reason I chose it was because I just think it's a fantastic little story. Um, yeah, okay. Right. It's, yeah, must be it, one it, of the last highlights of Amsterdam. Indeed. Well, there's a couple more to come. Um, right. Question number two. One of Arnstadt's most notable buildings, as you hopefully would know, is the Bach Church, formerly mm -hmm. the New Church, which was named in 1935 after the great composer Johann Sebastian Bach. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, why was it named after Johann Sebastian Bach? Okay. Was it A, because he was a regular member of the church congregation from the age of 15? Hmm. Was it B, he was head choir boy in the new church choir from 1699 to 1702? 
C, it was because he was appointed as the organist, to play the organ there for several years, or was it D, he was appointed as lead lute player, which is like a medieval guitar? Um, I think it's C. You're correct. Well yeah. done, Squire. Well done. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Good lad. So, you know, ah. so just explain, do you know a little bit more about the history of that then? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's everywhere basically in Turing because he, I think he, yeah, he became sort of, I think he almost grew up uh, in Arnstadt and then he moved on to, I think, Eisenach. And uh, yeah, there's, he was uh, at a few places all over Germany. Indeed. But has no. a strong connection to Arnstadt. Yeah. yeah so, tell me more, please. So I've got, to, yeah, so, to, he was, um, the, there was, it was, he played, there was a, a very, very famous uh, organ designer um, that made church organs for all over Germany. And, um, they, and Johann Sebastian Bach inaugurated that particular organ. Um, mm -hmm. And then he stayed there for, for about four years. And that's how he learned to play um, like he did in that virtuoso style. So, um, but he was a yeah. very, he was 18 years of age when he started playing in Arnstadt. So um, very interesting. Oh, okay, nice. um, right. Question number three. This is a sausage based question. Yeah, I, I was I was waiting for it. I always asked for it. Okay, right. Why does it come up? Yeah. Okay. Bratwurst, the globally famous German sausage, is claimed to have originated in Arnstadt after an old document was was found in the year 2000. Okay. But what year does that document date from? Okay, Marcel. Yeah. So um, so Bratwurst claim is claimed to be from Arnstadt from a document that was found 21 years ago. But how old is that document? Okay. Is it... Was it mm -hmm. was the document from A thirteen ninety nine, B fourteen hundred, C fourteen o one, or D fourteen o four? Oh, is that distraction that you are using? Like the last three answers very close to each other. So maybe it's A. Um, that's a very good question. I have no idea. Fourteen o one. Oh. 1404. Oh, no. no. For a bonus question, though, for a bonus question, and you should, hopefully you'll know the, the answer, what are the three most popular meats that are used in the bratwurst? Uh, the three most popular meats? Um, yeah, obviously, um, um, pork. Yep. Uh, in Thüringen, then. It's just yeah, in, in, yeah. Gen generally, uh, there's uh, the, the bratwurst are mostly pork. Then there's other two very popular meats that they use in the bratwurst sausage. Oh, um, now they yeah, uh, beef. Yes, correct. And um, what else would it be? Uh, just it's, thinking, what, what would they use in Bayer in Bavaria? It's uh, kind of like beef, but it's like a younger version of beef. Oh, um, um, baby beef. Uh, yes, baby beef. <laughs> Veal. I'm not saying it's red for it. Veal. Baby Veal, beef. Yeah, yes. <laughs> baby beef. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you a bonus point uh, there, Marcel. So um, yeah, you, you're only three years out, but my, I must admit my dates were quite close together. I did. I was interviewing. I chatted to a young lad called Ben Healy, who's just turned professional for EF yeah. the, the other day. And I did a similar 
question and he did complain that the dates were too close together and you need the dates further apart so i need to take the feedback from my guests i think okay. that's very good feedback yes okay right so the final question on the unstat quiz is this okay, okay. marcel what is the yeah. name of the indoor high jumping meeting that the town hosts every year from the uh, from from 1977 um, <laughs> yeah okay is it I've, i've been there you know that's where i where i had my sports lesson uh, at school all right okay so yeah, um, yeah. what is the name of, of the high jumping festival is it you had to excuse my pronunciation hochsprung mit bier yeah is it hochsprung mit uh, lebensmittel Hochspring mit Musik or Hochspring mit Kunst? It's uh, Hochsprung mit Musik. It is. Mit well music. done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, no, yeah. Do you know why I know that? Because uh, I've, I've, I've started as a, you know, my, my sports career, I've, I've started it as a, as a track and field athlete. Yeah, athlete. I was nine or eight, ten years old then, back then. Yeah. And we uh, often had training there. Um, in that um, in that uh, Sporthalle. Oh my God, I'm missing the English words. Sport hall, yeah. Sport hall, yeah. And um, I also participated in the uh, youth event for the Hochschule Musik uh, event and, and also watched the pros um, doing their, their competition, high jump competition there. And that was really impressive seeing them jumping over two meter 30, the men and the ladies. Um, there was They had the um, world record indoor over two meter eight um, for the ladies for ladies for a couple of years yes and, uh, you're yeah, totally was, right yeah it's um yeah. and Swedish women i think yeah, yeah and the reason it's because it's quite an unusual event it's all it is is just the high jump and but the the, the reason it's called um hodgebrunk mit music is because yeah. music plays while they do the high jumps it's really yeah. unusual <laughs> Yeah, not not during the jump because they need to focus on concentrate, oh, okay, but then okay. always before and after, and it's it, yeah, it was always a really nice atmosphere. And the organizer of the whole event was my um, first coach as a uh, yeah as a uh, track and field athlete. So that was yeah, it's quite nice, small yeah. place, Anshad. <laughs> yeah, that that's fantastic. That actually that that, that does lead me on to um, how you actually got into cycling because you, you lived in uh, the, the former East Germany. Um, Obviously, mm -hmm. now it's, it's obviously um, a, lot, a lot has changed. But how did, yeah, you, did you actually get into cycling? Yeah, how, how did you actually get into yeah. to cycling from moving from track and field, like you said? Um, yeah, it was mostly because I got bored by, by track and field. And okay. it, was, it was yeah really stupid to say. But yeah, I, I didn't feel any, you know... Um, There was no nothing that really you know gave me the feeling of yeah I'm experiencing something new now and uh, because every day you're um, at the at the sport hall again or outdoors and um, running the 50 meters and and doing yeah you're only seeing the same place and yeah so I said yeah I think I want to try something else and um, I asked my dad for a bicycle and he he organized one for me. Um, made my mom very sad because she used to be a high jumper as well um, okay. and, and also very uh, still a trainer for for athletics then so um, yeah but i finally tried uh, riding on a bike and it was just a different world you know i saw so much uh, around arnstadt not only arnstadt itself but i could really discover all the places being yeah. in nature and i really fell in love with that and, and and what was your your first bike can you remember the first bicycle you had <laughs> Um, 
My very, very first bike or my first road bike? Uh, your first road bike. My first road bike was was a, a Veto. It's a, a brand from Czech Republic. Uh, and um, they are now called, I think, Ford. And it was a blue. It was blue with um, um, yellow handle uh, bar tape, and it was actually not a bad bike to start with. Okay. So I don't have any horror stories of, of <laughs> hundred years old steel frames. Now it was a good aluminium frame, and but my winter bike, so the bike that I only had for winter training, was that was actually a steel frame bike with. Uh, huge mud guards um, shifting on the frame and just terrible. My dad always used to say, "Yeah, if you can ride fast on that bike, you will ride even faster on your summer bike." So that's what my uh, my dad said me this, the same thing in the winter. Um, he wouldn't allow me to ride my my racing bike until the roads were dry, really, like February or March. So all through yeah. the winter, and he said the same thing. He said, "You'll go a lot quicker." Um, and yeah. always do heavy training wheels, even when I rode my, my road bike. And yeah, my dad was a, a really important part to who, of of my of my um, early cycling days. So, who, yeah. a lot, who for you then was one of the most important people in in your early success, and then that led you to ultimately sign your first professional contract. Who who do you think inspired you the most? Um, that was also my dad, hundred okay. percent. He right. um, he. Uh, you know, because he used to be a former cyclist as well, uh, not a professional cyclist because of um, yeah, <laughs> East Germany and of not course. possible. <laughs> but uh, now he like showed me how to basically ride a bike, how to sit on it. He he was the first one who tried to put a helmet on my head and you know put the clips together and yeah. I still had some skin on uh, between it. So that was the first time I cried. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's so painful, isn't it? Oh my yeah. God. Um, and uh, no, but yeah, I think without his support, but also the support of my parents, I, I would not have, um, you know, had that chance chance to, to really, you know, get where I am now because I mean, it does not only involve, you know, try, someone who tries to teach you what you have to do, but also all the time that they had to make free to go with us to, to so with me, my friends and the club to races. And it's a lot of traveling and it's yeah a lot of dedication. And um, that's so important to have you know, your family or friends or coach, the right people around you who support um, your dream. And um, yeah, I was very lucky that I um, had them back then and still have them now. Fantastic stuff! Fantastic stuff. Um, I just we've got another small little segment um, that um, we don't yeah. have. A, we don't have a jingle for it, but um, if you don't mind, Marcel, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bring Niall back onto the podcast briefly. Um, Niall, mate, um, I'm gonna do the describe each team in one word segment. Have you got your harp? I do. Yeah, I have the harp here. Yeah. Um, which one is it? Your travel harp or, your, or the harp that you use in the orchestra? No, it's my yeah, it's my full size one. I'm at home, so I don't need to travel one here. All right, mate. Do you mind just? Is it tuned? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to just give us? Uh, can can I, can I have it in um, an F? No, can I have it in a D sharp descending descending chord structure. Yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah. Okay, mate. Thanks. <laughs> can we in, Matt? Okay, three, two, one. Describe each team in one word. There we go, Marcel. That was uh, thanks for the heart there. there now, could you describe to me in one word, Marcel? And I'm going to take you through your teams. Of course, you know them. I want you just to describe them, the essence of each team in one word. 
Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe what, what would be quite nice if you could do it in English and in the German. So we, we, we learn a little bit of German along the way. Is that okay? Okay. I'll try my best. Okay. Yeah. So are you comfortable again? Yeah. Good stuff. Um, are you, what, what sort of chair are you sitting on, if you don't mind me asking? Um, you know, these uh, director chairs, uh, leather, leather covered. Uh, no, it's just a, <laughs> a, a standard IKEA chair okay. um, for, for office places. I think it's, mine, it's is, that mine is an IKEA chair for office spaces as well. But anyway, yeah. here we go. So describe each team in one word, starting off with Turinger Energy Team. Oh, um, that's not the first word. Um, um, youth dream. Youth dream. Okay. And, yeah. the, and how would you say that in German? Um, Jugendtraum. Okay. Skill Shimano. Um, surprise. Surprise. Okay. And Überraschung. Okay. Great stuff. Um, let's move on. Cause it was a, Team Argos Shimano. Breakthrough. Breakthrough. Ah, okay. Nice. And how, what's that in German? Um, Durchbruch. Okay. Um, giant Alpacin. Um, struggle. Struggle. Okay. Um, which is? It is that's, um, that's, uh, um, give me a second. Um, uh, Schwierigkeiten. Okay. Uh, ethics quick step. Um, um, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm looking for the right word. That's, um, breakthrough reloaded. <laughs> that's three words. <laughs> Two words. I'll, 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 that's, do, you know, do you know what that sounds like? That sounds like a movie you could be in. Um, yeah, but you'd be on like you'd be on the front. The movie post would be you on the bike with a big explosion in the background with breakthrough reloaded. <laughs> You've got the voice for it. <laughs> That's it. Um, and then finally, Katusha Alperson. Um, uh, peace. Peace. Oh wow, that's that's nice. And that in and that in German. Frieden. Okay, and Frieden. hopefully. No, hopefully Niall might have written all these down and I'll read them all back to you. Um, or maybe he hasn't. <laughs> Sometimes he writes them down. It's fine. Absolutely fine. No, um, no, I'd just like to do that because it's just, just gives yeah. us a flavor, a sense of, of your, of the journey through the different teams. Cause every team has a different, uh, environment. It's a different stage of your life. I just quite like doing that. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, you can do, you can say so many things and you, you can look at it from so many perspectives, but just to give some background, I've looked at it from like personal perspective now. Sure. And it's, it's like, why did I say, for example, surprise with Skishimano? Because it was mm. the only team where I could turn professional. Um, and that was a surprise for me that I could still become a professional after, yeah. you know, um, uh, being, um, of, of ha- having had my youth dream at Turing Energy team and then hoping to make the step, but almost not. So that was a big surprise that I could still do it. Yeah. Well, I've, Niall has actually written them down. We've got youth dream, su- so youth dream, surprise, breakthrough struggle, breakthrough reloaded and peace. You can yeah. have that, mate. I'll send you that. So um, no, that that's that's lovely. I mean, it's been 
It's been a really, really enjoyable uh, conversation, Marcel. I think we've just we've, we've gone off on a few different kind of tangents, and it's it's the, what's most <laughs> wonderful to me is is how just in your voice. I know we do this just on voice. There's no there's no video, but uh, <laughs> you 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 really feel. Uh, I know there's a real sense of contentment about your life. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like I've mentioned it already a couple of times now. I'm I'm happy with my family, with with where we are now at, and um, I'm I'm looking forward to all the new challenges uh, because um, there will be also new and different challenges, which is great, and that's that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, Marcel, it's been an absolute pleasure. We're going to wrap things up now, but um, yet. Yeah, all the best with the wedding plans. Um, all the best with the getting the the final, uh, getting your house built, and and all the best with your future projects. I'm really looking forward to seeing what you've got in store for the future. It's been an absolute pleasure, and thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. I wish you all also the best. Thanks, mate. What a fantastic guy Marcel is, and with so many great moments going on in his life, it sounds like he's really content, and I'm very happy for him indeed. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the pod, and want to recommend it to any refuse collection workers who might or might not have found Marcel's turbo trainer power cable or anything else he's accidentally thrown out. Finally, a massive thanks again to Marcel for joining us on the podcast today. I hope his houseboat goes smoothly and he can enjoy his lazy stairs for many years to come. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye.